0: and uh welcome to chewing it over this is a friday's edition i'm back again it's jack march here and i am delighted to be uh, to be joined uh, by a special guest today um helena silman cohen whom we're going to talk about um physiotherapy in oncology we just had a little bit of a chat now and actually i should have changed that title to physiotherapy and oncology but there we go um helena amazingly experienced um, in this area. She works in New York in specialist oncology department and now uh, works in Israel um, both in their version of the NHS and also in private practice um, treating across the range of um, patients with Oncological problems, I don't, I'm going to get some of my terminology wrong here. This is not certainly not my area of expertise. It's something I'm extremely interested in. Um, as per usual in the chat function, if someone wants to give us a thumbs up, that you can see and hear us nicely. Um, looks like from our end, we've got good connections and we're nice and stable. So hopefully, um, we are coming through loud and clear. And do please put any questions into the chat for Helena about uh, physiotherapy and oncology. And we will try and get to those um, in a few minutes. But um, I just wanted to start off Helena by just give us a little bit of an overview of um, you were just telling me a lot of the things that you're doing um, with regards to working with younger patients with oncology, for example, but just give us a bit of an idea about um, what you get up to day to day if you don't mind within your job roles.
1: Okay, so you know, cancer. uh, So I work mainly with uh, adult cancer uh, patients, which is 18 and above. I don't work with pediatrics, although my first year as a PT, I worked in a pediatric hospital. So I also uh, treated some uh, cancer patients who were, you know, pediatric, but that's a different experience, uh, very challenging. I think that's really one of the uh, more, more difficult aspects of tre- uh, you know, working in oncology. And uh, as you mentioned, I work in a hospital. I work there in an outpatient setting in the oncology unit. and um, so I see there are various types of patients. Um, most of the patients are still getting treatment. They're not hospitalized. They're coming you know, to get their chemo, They're after surgery, getting you know other uh, radiation therapy. Um, And I think the benefits of working there, you know, it's more, um, you know, acute things and uh, the, you know, the, um, I think one of the reasons that I like to work in an oncology setting, you know, in the hospital you have good communication with oncologists, you can join their tumor boards, you can really learn a lot about oncology. And with the patients, uh, I'm a lymphedema ther- certified therapist, so I do a lot of lymphedema therapy. Also, when I worked in New York, I worked in Memorial Sloan-Kettering Cancer Center, and there mainly I also provided um, uh, lymphedema therapy. But uh, now since I'm the only therapist working in the hospital, I provide everything that is needed. So it can be you know, more of an orthopedic issues, uh, many, you know, range of motion, breast cancer, but it's not limited to that. Like I see a lot of patients, let's say, uh, with prostate cancer. And then, you know, because of the hormonal therapy, their muscle mass is almost gone, depleted. Um, they're very weak. They lose, um, you know, they lose a lot of weight, some of the patients. So you need to give them an exercise program. And that's, uh, as we mentioned before, you know, there are specific guidelines about exercise. New guidelines were published in 2019. There's a series of articles that really um, talk about all the new uh, new guidelines and instructions and specific prescription. Uh, so I really encourage uh, you know the therapist to to read them. And um, so I gave a very uh, specific home program regarding the exercise. Um, what else do I see there? Um, Uh, I think recently, uh, a lot of head and neck patients, head and neck cancers, those are really have a lot of effect. I mean, this is a small area of our body, but very, you know, with very important roles like breathing, swallowing, uh, communication, if it's talking, so opening and closing our mouth, but also mimics, you know, this is really important, the way you look and if that affects I mean, we're not plastic surgeon, we're not, but if we're trying to do the symmetry thing, uh, we need to work. And of course, if there's lymphedema, there can be also lymphedema in the head and neck. So I'm treating that as well. Uh, So, you know, a lot of critical things that are happening in this area. And so I treat, you know, usually like if there's a neck dissection, it affects not only, you know, the. I mentioned swallowing and you know opening of the TMJ joint but it's also of course the neck range of motion but also the shoulder because it also many times affect the uh, nerves the accessory nerve and that affects also the shoulder so you need to look at many things that can affect our you know musculoskeletal system and address that so really
0: a variety of places yeah certainly super broad what you're doing yeah really good
1: and um we talked a little bit before we
0: came on air about we're obviously today we're speaking to a mostly sort of musculoskeletal audience um and we were talking about the effects of cancer and its treatment and then the development of uh, musculoskeletal let's put it in inverted commas issue or functional issues further down the line um so obviously you can't cover the whole body in in Absolutely. 25 minutes or 30 but just give us some ideas sort of in general what kind of things that people you mentioned about hormonal therapies and specific um, things that people might develop later just give us a little bit of an overview there what we as musculoskeletal therapists should look out for if someone's got um cancer in their history their past medical history
1: Correct. So I think, you know, breast cancer is the most common, one of the most common cancer definitely among women, although not only women, we know that also men, some very few men have also breast cancer. So anyways, if a patient has a positive uh, hormonal type of cancer, breast cancer, they need to take hormonal, anti-hormonal therapy for between to five to 10 years. And that causes many side effects, including... Uh, joint pains, it can also uh, cause all kinds of uh, symptoms like tendinopathy. You see it specifically more in the arms. So you see like the creven, carpal tunnel, tennis elbow. You, you see those a lot with those types of patients. And uh, there is a, an article that really showed a specific algorithm how to deal with those types of patients. So, you know, the first thing to do is education. They need to know it is related to their hormonal therapy. Then they need to get some physical therapy. We need to work on range of motion. We need to give them an exercise program. And we're going to treat it the way everybody uh, uses their own set of skills to treat those conditions. And then if it doesn't work, they need to go back to the doctor. Sometimes they switch the medication. This is not in a scope of expertise. We refer them to the oncologist. But I think there needs to be a discussion. Um, you know, let's try this it doesn't work, they're going to try maybe another medication. Sometimes they switch to another medication. And if nothing works, like I've seen some patients, they come to me, they have 10 out of 10, uh, their pain levels, and they can't sleep and they can't do anything. And then, you know, and you work in rheumatology, at that point, you need to do something probably extreme. And in an extreme cases, some of those patients stop taking those medications. So we need to understand, um, you know, the consequences of this decision. This is not my decision, but we need to work together. And uh, these are things that are really limiting the patients. Um, If we're looking at other side effects, uh, we talked about uh, radiotherapy. So we're talking about external beam uh, radiotherapy. Um, So that damages, of course, we know it's a specific uh, targeting the cancer patients, but unfortunately it also uh, affects healthy tissues. And then at the area where there was the radiation, there can be something that is called radiation fibrosis. So this could be a late side effect. It can happen months or even years after the patient had the therapy, even if they're cancer free and feel terrific, it might develop. So uh, we need to understand that the radiation fibrosis can affect all kinds of tissues. I mean, if we're talking about chest wall, it can affect the lungs, which are really deep Uh, Rarely does it affect the heart, um, but uh, mainly, you know, it can affect ligaments, muscles, uh, tendons, nerves, and then according to the damage, then we we would see the the side effect that the patient will have. So uh, this is pretty, uh, pretty common. I mean, we're talking about what we need to understand with the radiation, that you know the radiation, what it does, it really changes the DNA. So with the cancer cells, it just kills them. But with the tissues that are affected, the DNA is not the same. So it's not like, okay, uh, patient got radiation six weeks ago, this is the situation, this is how it's gonna stay, no this unfortunately can get worse. There's proliferation, fibrosis that can increase over time. And then suddenly a patient, you know, uh, let's give the example of head and neck, a patient that's got radiation in this area. And suddenly after five years, he can't open his mouth. He has trismus. So then if he goes to a TMJ specialist, they need to, you know, to ask the questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I think treatment-wise should be pretty similar, but the the therapist needs to understand what happened to the patient um, and, and address it uh, accordingly.
0: Yeah, that was exactly that's where I was going to go exactly. Just following on from that, it's something where I think um, certainly I've spent some time with patients asking them about their past medical history, and I think from my point of view, I'll often go, "Okay, you had breast cancer." And then my clinical reasoning brain goes, OK, is this a recurrence of the cancer or a metastasis or something similar? And I go, well, no, it doesn't really fit that profile. But I don't think then I'm not going that extra step going, was the treatment and the cancer they had, is that actually causing the musculoskeletal problem now? Um, and I apologize to anybody who can hear my bins being collected. It's bad timing. But um, is that, so? From, so it's not a direct cause. But it's this indirect after effect. Have you got any advice for us regarding how we would go about approaching, you know, understanding whether it, you know, is this shoulder problem that they've developed a shoulder problem, or is this a shoulder problem that's a consequence of having either breast cancer or the radiotherapy or something similar?
1: Uh, I think this is a really good question because I think that one of the most important things. You know, it's a big thing, you know, direct access. I don't know exactly how it works in the UK. Uh, in, in the U.S., certain states have direct access. In Israel, um, there is some, uh, there is one health insurance that they do have direct access. But anyway, I, I think specifically in the oncology field, uh, I always would like to have clearance from the doctor because, as you mentioned, it could be a recurrence. So, you know, just uh, a week ago in Facebook, there was uh, in our you know physical therapy um, group, like general physical therapy, somebody posted that uh, they sent a patient and she had a hip pain and the orthopedic was really adamant that she would be seen by PT, ASAP, and he really pushed the patient. So um, the supervisor at the clinic, she was looking at the chart of the patient and she had cancer a year ago. So that's not too long. And she saw, you know, and she spoke to the patient and the patient said like, it's really severe pain. She hadn't seen the doctor for a few months and uh, they were doing, They she was waiting to do some uh, imaging but it didn't happen yet. So the therapist didn't want to do and proceed because she said, the patient said she had night pain. She had, you know, some red flags alarming and she refused to treat the patient although the orthopedist was very adamant that she would see her. And um, um, then she spoke again with the patient, she had more severe symptoms. She told her to go to urgent care and apparently there were metastases to all over you know, the bones. So the therapist knew what she was doing, referred the patient to the right person. So I think that in those specific cases, I really don't think that uh, direct access is the way to go in my personal opinion and I would always want to have clearance because we don't know. I mean, even sometimes something that can be, could look really, you know, benign, sometimes it's not and therefore I would always like, uh, you know, an approval from the doctor to intervene, even if the cancer was a while ago. That's my personal opinion um, and my experience.
0: And how, Far would you extend that out? So let's stick with the breast cancer um, analogy because what I'm more comfortable talking about is more obvious for me to that. So if let's say a lady had uh, right breast cancer but then came in with a left shoulder problem, would you follow the same pattern or would you be less less concerned about the left shoulder than the right than if it's the I right would, shoulder? I
1: would. I would still be very concerned. I would still be concerned. It's not. Yes. I mean, I think you know. I, I would just ask her go see her oncologist, you know, see your, I mean, if it was like 20 years ago, just see your doctor, you know, your GP and ask if everything is fine, if, and I can proceed with therapy. I mean, sometimes it's, I'll I'll give you an example. I have a patient, uh, a 26 years old patient who had Hodgkin's lymphoma. When I saw him uh, originally, you know, he lost a lot of weight. Obviously, he was very fit. He lost a lot of weight and he had um, some bony lesion from, from, from the from the cancer, and he was bed bound for I don't know, like a couple of months. So when he came to me, came to me, you know, he was very weak, and we started working out. And now he's he's really strong. I need to lift like the heaviest weights I have, and uh, I'm working very hard with him. So he called me last week, telling me he has some back pain, and. So first it happened from a trauma. He hit something, you know, with his knee and he had knee pain and hip pain and back pain, and then it subsided. And then he's talking to me yesterday. He said, you know, I'm feeling much better, but I still have some back pain. It's still radiating to my feet. It's much milder. You know, my my inclination is, you know, I tell the patient, if something is continuing for a couple of weeks, just speak to the doctor, get clearance, Get back to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's better to be safe than sorry at those situations.
0: Yeah, so I think it's certainly, from my point of view, I think I need to be more cautious with the past medical history of cancer, by the sounds of it. Um, but let's take it. Um, yeah, so even that that case, I suppose it, you're you're looking quite far afield, even in these in these situations. Um, great. So let's. Let's not stick too much into that because uh, we get we get it. We'll, I could talk to you for a day about those yes. things and pull out <laughs> slightly different scenarios. So talk to me a little bit about. Um, we had a really good conversation about the uh, the general things that physio can help with once someone's sort of uh, even during their treatment, but generally improving their function, generally improving their um, their abilities, and and staving off that muscle bulk loss. Uh, function loss. Tell us a little bit about that. So when should we start? How hard should we push people? Is there anything we should look out for?
1: Okay. So, you know, there's a term that is called pre-rehab. We know that as PTs. So also uh, there's a lot of research about that uh, in cancer, you know, in oncology PT. So, um, and uh, definitely in the UK and in Europe and the States, it's, it's, it's going on, not so much I believe in Israel. So from the point of diagnosis of, uh, of the cancer, uh, we can already start, let's say somebody is really, you know, uh, there were a few articles about patients with colon cancer or lung cancer and the cancer itself is so significant that they're very weak, they can hardly walk, uh, take, you know, walk the steps and they're very deconditioned and they are supposed to get surgery. So we know, and there's research to support that, that if we'll do some intervention, uh, you know, strengthen them, give them a good exercise program, um, it showed that uh, it reduces the hospitalization days, less, you know, less days in the hospital, uh, improved uh, function, and less complications. So this is one set. Another thing is, let's say there was a, a very interesting. Um, in uh, Denmark, and uh, there's a, a physical therapist who organized the International Physical Therapy conference that was held in Copenhagen in May uh, this year. So he did um, his research was done on um, cancer um, lung cancer patients with advanced you know stage four, so really advanced cancer. They were diagnosed and immediately at that point they referred them to the gym. With, to, with a PT, of course, a trained PT, to do an exercise program to get them stronger because we know it reduces the side effects from the chemotherapy that they're supposed to get. So we know that it reduces the fatigue because the number one side effect from all the cancer, uh, cancer treatments is fatigue. It's not a regular fatigue. It's called cancer-related fatigue. Uh, I know fatigue now is a big thing. Also, you know, with COVID, uh, it's, it's a big thing. Um, And it affects, you know, it's not only physical, it's also emotional. There's a lot of aspects to that. And specifically in cancer-related fatigue, as opposed to COVID that I know it's a little bit different, um, exercise, aerobic exercise should help. So you need to give a prescription. Um, But anyways, if we're going back to those lung cancer patients, they get a really intense workout. And I saw a video of the exercise it looked pretty intense. They were not, you know, using light bands and bands uh, and it really shows, it reduces a lot of side effects. of fatigue, uh, their function of course increases. It's also good at increase, you know, it lowers uh, uh, rates of anxiety, uh, depression. Uh, so it has a lot of good things uh, that help patients. Now, you know, how much to push a patient, you know, I'm providing a course, like in Israel, I provide a course with my colleague, uh, who's also a physical therapist. And um, we do like a whole session about exercise and how to tailor it to the patients. But I can say like, in general, if somebody really is close to, um, you know, the general recommendations of the World Health Organization, you know, the 150 Uh, Minutes of uh, aerobic exercise and twice a week resistive exercise, we don't have much to tell them except of, you know, just keep going, keep doing it. But if somebody is really, really far from them and they can hardly walk five minutes, they need to see us. If they have bone metastases, they should see a physical therapist to get a one on one intervention. Uh, If they just had a stoma placed, if they have lymphedema that was just was diagnosed. They need to get a one-on-one treatment, you know, therapy, uh, because there's a lot of groups, uh, exercise group, exercise intervention, which is wonderful uh, and very needed. On the other hand, we need to know when to send the patient to to us to physical therapy.
0: Brilliant. Yes, yeah, a huge broad range. Um, I wanted to ask about <clears throat> um, musculoskeletal physio in general, um, and I know you work in private practice as well. Yes. Um, ignoring the recognition side of things for a bit, so that, let's say they've got these musculoskeletal symptoms. Um, they're under oncology. They're happy that it's not a recurrence, so it's not directly related to an ongoing cancer or whatever. So they're here. They're they're in musculoskeletal physio. Yes. What is. Wh- what is your advice for MSK physios? What should we be providing more of that you think we don't do? Like, I think by the sounds of it, we're probably treating these people a little bit too softly, softly, but is there anything that we're doing, we should be doing more of and giving them more, more care?
1: So I think, you know, we don't need to treat them soft. I mean, if there's, you know, we definitely, there's a lot of, you know, definitely exercise um, uh, physiologist, you can do intense, you know, depending on the patient, depending on the situation, but it's not, you know, it's not light weights at all, uh, as we know with many different other populations. But it needs to be done, and um, you know, more probably more gradual. Uh, it's not light. I think that you know, with the, I think that what I feel is the thing that I add to the table, and I think is not. Um, well uh, written in those guidelines that I mentioned. So they recommend you know, the aerobic exercise and the resistive exercise, which is excellent, and we all know how to do them. But I think what's missing is the stretching exercise. And I think there's a lot of you know, um, recent uh, research saying that it's not that important to do some stretching exercise, but I think it's critical to do that if you had surgery and if you had radiation. Because as I mentioned, those structures are going to get shorter. And, you know, we know that scar tissue tends to get short. And we know that with radiated area, it also gets shortened. so like a, a breast cancer patients, she needs to do those exercise every single day. So that is pretty obvious because we know it affects the shoulder. We kind of understand that. But I had a few patients and they had like uh, surgery for the chest and like maybe esophagus cancer. And they had another one in their ribs. So those are pretty big, you know, scars and, you know, sometimes you look and they don't have good range of motion and, you know, just do a couple of stretches and that's it, they're gonna be better. Um, Another thing that um, the balance issues, you know, neuropathy and specifically there's chemotherapy induced peripheral neuropathy, which is pretty common. There are certain uh, chemotherapy drugs that causes neuropathy And there are other reasons for neuropathy, like in the general population that also occurs in cancer patients. So, um, in that population, we know that they will have a problem with their balance most likely. And there are, you know, there's a lot of research about increased risk of falls among this population, anyways, between 30 to 50 percent increased risk of chance of falls even in their 40s and 50s, not only you know for the geriatric population. So balance exercise I always do some screening uh, in the US with Medicare you have to ask a patient if they had a fall in this past six months. I don't know how it is in the UK, but it's something that you have to ask. so I, I ask that as well okay. and um, so I think yes balance is a big issue and stretching. That's another uh, big thing. And I tell the patients, you know, we know that the exercise prescription as opposed to other prescriptions like in oncology, it never ends, it never expires, it's always good. Because some patients are like, wow, I had breast cancer and I have to do this exercise every single day. And I say, listen, this is like healthy stuff. This is not, you're not sick. You're not in a bad situation, but this is like a healthy lifestyle. And we know that exercise for uh, breast, breast, colon, and prostate cancer, can reduce um, recurrence rates. So it is critical. It's like taking a pill. It's like taking that anti-hormonal therapy. They need to do exercise. Um,
0: yes. Yeah. So sounds like giving giving them that general advice and that sort of long-term behavior change is really important as well. I think that's something certainly we can do in skeletal practice. And is it something that you would say? Let's let's say again let's take a patient who they've got past medical history of cancer Um, they've come in and it's it's not related to that oncology happy it's not related to that Uh, they've got something else
1: Um,
0: how much would you say that we should be checking in on what they're doing generally I mean we talk about general health anyway but sort of that more specific stuff like if let's say a lady comes in she's twisted her ankle and um, she has a little bit of rehab for that, but she has a past medical history of breast cancer. Would you suggest that we're asking her, you know, how is your shoulder function? How is your range of motion? How is, you know, is it a good opportunity to check in on that, or are they pretty good at managing themselves? What would you say there? Depends on the person, probably.
1: I mean, it's it's a good question. I don't think <laughs> I thought about that. Um, you can ask. I mean, you know. Uh, we generally when we do our evaluation you know we ask patients about their medical history you can just you know how's your range of motion i think that's something quick that we can do um you know i think that what i see in my perspective like uh, like i saw a patient and she had breast cancer surgery and like you know i'm when she calls me yes i had breast cancer we meet and i'm thinking okay range of motion does she have lymphedema but suddenly she comes to me with like the worst neuropathy that i've ever seen she can't walk you know she's not balanced so i think the goals are really as always it's the patient goals like they're coming to us with their problem (laughs) so that really that what leads me to the therapy Uh, but i do think that i do need to intervene if it's their safety like a patient comes to me and she came, comes from lymphedema and she's not bad, you know, her walking is not balanced. She walks with, un- you know, inappropriate shoes. She's gonna fall. I think my role as a physical therapy is to listen, you might need, you know, a walking aid. I will intervene there even if she didn't ask me. That's my, okay. the way I look at things.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Um, unfortunately, we are running short of time already and I could speak yeah. to you about this day, really. Um, but um, can you, guide us towards uh, any further information or any projects that you're involved with, social media, that kind of thing, so people can um, ask you more questions and find out more stuff.
1: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I have (laughs) my website is only in Hebrew at this point. I need (laughs) to translate that to English. But as you know and understand, I do speak uh, pretty well English. Uh, I do provide my courses in Israel. I did a course in Prague recently online and I'm working in one for uh, a Spanish company. Um, You can email me, if, do you have, like, a website where you put, you know, the information? Of, yeah, uh, we, can, we the can put that into
0: the, into the descriptions of the recording, yeah.
1: Yes, uh, so my email address, I will be happy. Now we're trying to build our own, you know, in Israel, our own subcategory of oncology PT in our Israeli Physical Therapy Association in order to be part of the global, you know, the world uh, physical therapy uh, federation. So um, yes, people can reach out. I think there are brilliant therapists who work in this field in, in the UK, in the US, it's a big field, but I think that we are not as um, you know, involved as the other musculoskeletal therapists. I think that's where we need to you know, get more attention and promote what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I definitely think there's some bigger overlaps than maybe I thought there were and definitely some co-work that could easily be done, isn't there? Um, Brilliant, well, thank you very much for spending uh, uh, half an hour with me. It's my lunchtime, your afternoon. Thank you very much for that. Hopefully everybody's found that super useful and um, we'll definitely be having some further conversations about this because I think there's lots of really interesting, interesting things we can chat over. But yeah, thank you, Helena, for uh, spending this time with me and I'll speak to you soon.
1: Great, thank you. No worries. Okay. Bye-bye.